All right, welcome in, everybody. A big Wednesday edition of Sports Daily. It's uh, We got a lot coming up for you on the show today. Let's tell you what's on tap here right off the top. We'll get to the Kansas State loss last night in Ames. Uh, any, you know, anything positive to take out of that? I think that there probably is. We'll get into that here in the first segment in just a few minutes. We've got Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director, Joining us a little bit later in this hour, we're shuffling some things around. Big announcement for uh, the athletics department and softball program and some other things in the release I want to pick his brain about just a little bit uh, as it relates to some other sports there on campus, most notably men's basketball. So we'll do that during this hour. We shift the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, Brian Haney, to hour number two for his weekly visit KU on a skid. We had Hall of Fame voting last night in Major League Baseball. We have the Royals making another trade. A lot to cram in today. Uh, welcome in, Tommy Castor. I'm Jacob Albrock, Jad Chambers producing. Tommy, good morning. Hey, good morning. I didn't realize that we had so much to cram in today. I, I knew we were going to talk about Kansas State and the Royals active on the trade market. And, uh, of course, we've got Brian Haney, as we always do on Wednesdays. But there's a lot more going on. Baseball Hall of Fame. The NFL just released finalists for the MVP award. Offensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year. There's a lot to get to today on the show. Yeah, we can, you know, spread some of this out through the next couple of days. But we'll, you know, we will... uh we will get to as much as we can. Let's start with the Wildcats. It's also a shocker game day, by the way. Uh, more on that in just a little while. We'll get into that a little bit with Kevin Saul. But we got the Wildcats last night. They couldn't get it done against Iowa State. They were very competitive in that game, though. That was a great game. That uh, was a really, really good game. Credit to Iowa State. Caleb Grill did play, and he had some key moments. Uh, in the game as well. We didn't know if he'd be able to play, and he was clearly limited, but he hit a big three at a spot that I thought was one of the turning points of the, ga- the game. Excuse me. Um, it, it was I, it was everything we wanted, right? It was a slugfest. There was actually more scoring, I think, than anybody suspected. Marquise Noel was just fantastic in that game, really carrying uh, the Wildcats through a lot of the way. I didn't think it was Keontae Johnson's best performance, by any means, but Noel picked up the slack. And, you know, K-State was right there, blow for blow. Doesn't surprise me that Iowa State beat him. Uh, it was close. It was tight. Iowa State certainly controlled the game. But I think knowing that they controlled the game, because I felt like they did, Tommy. I thought Iowa State very much dictated what happened last night. I thought K-State did a nice job of hanging in there, um, of adjusting late in the second half. They kind of got them into the bonus a little bit quickly and quickly used that to their advantage. But all in all, a fine performance. The Big 12, top of the Big 12 conference, gets more and more muddy. It's probably good news for KU fans that that game went that way since they already beat Iowa State. Uh, but that was a ton of fun last night for that game. What a high-level basketball game between two teams that are absolutely deserving to be at the very top of the Big 12 conference. Um, I think you're right. Keontae Johnson didn't have a phenomenal game. It wasn't a vintage Keontae Johnson performance. But he still shot 50% from the field, and he finished with, what, 15 points overall uh, at the end of it. And so, it, you know, he was still a valuable contributor. But I'm with you. Uh, Marquise Noel was phenomenal. There were a couple of clutch shots down the stretch that kept the Wildcats in the game. And, and it looked like every time Iowa State was about to pull away and they were about to go ahead and just end the game, 
uh, Kansas State, and really a lot of it was Marquise Noel stepping up, hitting a big shot, and keeping the Wildcats right in it. Ish Masood had a good game, too, uh, off the bench. And so, yeah, I mean, regardless, and I I tweeted this last night, regardless who won the game, uh, it was clearly a high-level, top-shelf quality basketball game between two teams that are really solid, phenomenal basketball teams and two of, if not the two best coaches in the Big 12. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I'm going to call them the two best coaches in the Big 12, but I think they're both doing a fantastic job. Right now, uh, I think they are the two best coaches in the Big 12. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not going to call either one of them a better coach than Bill Self uh, or Scott Drew. Those are the, the, the you know, they've won the na- last two national championships. Uh, so their their teams are playing really well right now, but no, I don't I, I think it's a little premature on that, but I'm really happy for both teams to have the right head coaches, right? I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I'm sorry, like, if you don't like them, that's fine. The Big 12 is better when Iowa State basketball is good because that's one of the more fun programs to me in the league. They were very rowdy last night uh, to K-State, and if you looked any of that, feeding that Farmageddon rivalry, which I thought was you know, funny, and I, I don't have a problem with that stuff. But it, it's just like, and again, it's always on highlight to me during the Big 12 tournament. There'll be more, other than, you know, KU, there's as many Iowa State fans as anything, and they take over power and light. And and it's a really passionate fan base, and they sell out their games. They do all the things you want to see, and they really add, I think, to the league. And I'm glad that they're back. I also, you know, like them right now because – one of our area's own plays for them, Caleb Grill. But, yeah, I mean, you watch it, and they are clearly there. And and it's even hard to define with them. Like, they don't have, and you know, like one star. Not that really anybody in this league does right now outside of maybe Kansas with Jalen Wilson. But they came at Kansas State. They gave them everything they wanted. Uh, they shot a high percentage. But, Tom, I mean, they shot. What did they shoot in the first half? It was, you know, 52% and then you thought, "Oh man, if K-State wants to, you know, to hang in this, they got to get it get it down." Then they shot 62% in the second half and K-State was right there. Iowa State has been torching people, torching people in Ames, which is why that number was at five and a half. and we knew that. Um uh, we liked it anyway, or I did. But they even with that, they shot 57 percent from the field in that game and k-state was right there if i told you tommy before that game started iowa state's going to shoot 57 percent from the field in this game i mean i'd have told you that follow that up with in k-state lost by you know 15 but they didn't they were right there man at the end too and they had opportunities and they you know they didn't get it done but it doesn't make me feel any worse for k-state but it does validate just a little bit further that iowa state's a real contender in the league Yeah, on top of that, too, you mentioned Jalen Wilson for Kansas and how big of a star he is. But if you take Jalen Wilson away from this Kansas team, let's just say, like, he gets injured or he has an off game or whatever, the Jayhawks are sunk. Like, they're they're done. Like, they need – they have to have Jalen Wilson produce. The thing that makes the Wildcats so dangerous, and we've talked about it before, is that they've got Keontae Johnson and they've got Marquise Noel, and either one of them – can step up and have a big night, and the Wildcats are going to have success. Um, Now, of course, 
K-State didn't win the game last night and Keontae Johnson didn't have a great performance, but you've got a, it's kind of a two headed monster with those guys. And then there are other players that from time to time will step up. And we've seen it from Naquan Tomlin. We've seen it from Desi Sills off the bench. We've seen other players uh, be able to contribute also offensively, but that's what makes the Wildcats so dangerous is that they don't just have one star that you can single in on. We've talked about both Johnson and Noel, potentially being all Americans. And so being able to limit both of them, that's a tall task for a lot of teams in the conference. And then I didn't realize until I, after the game was over with, and I looked at the way that the big 12 standings were falling right now, and you've got six teams out of the 10 within one game of the lead in the big 12 and, you know, KU's right there. Baylor is right there. TCU. How about Texas? We haven't talked about Texas in a long time. Rodney Terry, Rodney Terry's doing a good job. Uh, yeah. And they had a lot of a lot of turmoil and controversy in Austin, you know, a month ago or whenever that was when Chris Beard was let go. And Rodney Terry is making a case to, you know, be the permanent head coach for the Longhorns moving forward. But you've got six teams in the conference that you know are within one game. It wasn't that long ago. When was it? I mean, it was a, a little over a week ago that KU was number two in the country and they had the the lead all to themselves and now things are muddied uh, up there in, in, in at the top of the standings and so it's obviously a power conference and it's going to be a, a battle a knockdown drag out fight toward you know to the very end to determine who's going to be the winner yeah I mean Texas Tech West Virginia Oklahoma Oklahoma State aren't going to win the league this year uh, and it's not because Oklahoma State's totally out of the standings it's because we've seen them play and they're just not going to um, all those other six teams Tommy I, I mean, you take your pick, and I and Any I'd one say, of them. I, and I'd say, yeah, I, it, it, absolutely. I mean, it's wild, and that's what we want, right? Because now we're going to get so many games between those six teams down the stretch, and they'll take a break from Big Twelve play this weekend to do the SEC thing. But there, that that's what's wild about it is all six of them are good enough to win it. It's not like somebody's fluky to be there. I I think that all six can win this league. And I'm not sure which one I would take over the other. And I like for real, like, I don't know. I'd be curious and maybe we can find this at some point. Like who's the betting favorite right now to win the big 12. I don't know who it would be, but after watching Iowa state and Baylor the last two nights and the way that they played granted at home, like those teams could totally get on a stretch and win the league. There's no doubt about it. We've seen Texas. We know they're in the mix and then Kansas state and Kansas absolutely are there too. And And nobody's talking about TCU. TCU won by 27 points last night against Oklahoma. 27. They blew out KU in Lawrence in Allen Fieldhouse over the weekend. And they beat K-State. And they beat K-State. Yeah, uh, and it, nobody's really talking about TCU much. Well, they were the preseason that, you know, I don't know that they were the preseason favorite, but remember they had the conference player of the year. They made the deep tournament run last, uh, last year, you know, outside of KU, of course. So I think that they were, they had plenty of hype coming into the season, probably more than they, that they've ever had. And then they, they stumbled just a little bit there and then we forgot about them. But I mean, if you, if you didn't see what they did to Kansas in at Allen Fieldhouse, I mean, that's what tells you right there that they're totally capable. And they're deep, and they got a lot of ways to attack you. That's the other thing about this league. Again, outside of Kansas right now, who is, you know, sort of leaning heavy on Jalen Wilson. But outside of that, it feels like all these other teams are are just, like, balanced in their scoring anyway. Kansas State's pretty top-heavy. Uh, but, you know, everybody else can attack in a lot of different ways, and that makes it hard to predict some of these games. I love it. Man, it's been so good. 
K-State last night loses. Do you have any, do you take any steps back from your evaluations of them with that loss? I don't. I, I no. think it was fine. And and again, knowing that Iowa State was going to score at that clip, the fact that they were right there until literally the end of the game makes actually makes me feel pretty good. about. I, I might feel better about them even in a loss than I did. Yeah, I, I don't have, nothing really changes as far as my assessment of the Wildcats. Um, it was a, a very high-level game against a great opponent in Iowa State who very well could win the conference. I, I'm looking up right now, and I, I think this is accurate, looking up the, the betting odds for the Big 12 Conference regular season winner. It's still KU uh, is still the betting favorite at plus 300, but K-State is right behind them at plus 320. You've got Texas at plus 410, Iowa State plus 430, Baylor plus 470, and then TCU plus 750. That's the value bet, I think. TCU at plus 750 because of the talent that they have. Um, yeah. I think you can get I mean, that. Those are great odds for a team that has looked who pretty is dominant. The, who is the times. favorite? Who is the favorite? KU is still the, the favorite right now. Yeah, I wouldn't take that at all. Um, where's Kansas State? Right behind him, plus 320. So the second It goes Kansas, Kansas State, uh, Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State, Baylor, and then TCU. So pretty much the way they're ranked into the top 25, which might be where yeah. that's coming from. Um, I'd I might probably... throw some money on TCU right now. Yeah, TCU's decent. Baylor's decent. Um, and what I wonder what happens, too, in those bets if there's a split. Because I think there's going to be a split. I, yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that I think anybody's any one team is going to... Um, elevate I, I think we're gonna have a tie well and top of yeah the and those are those are the odds for outright winner of the big 12 yeah, yeah, yeah. i wouldn't take any of those that 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 would be the that feels like the trap in any of those bets is that you have to have an outright win. not only do you have to win it you gotta be the outright winner which right now seems moderately impossible to do i i, I just that that'd be that'd be tricky i think it would be different if you had maybe three teams that were battling within one game You've got six teams within one game through eight games as it stands <laughs> in the Big 12. I mean, it's and you never know. I mean, we've seen this before with Kansas, for example, and I'm not suggesting it's going to be Kansas. It could be any of these teams, but we've seen a log jam, you know, about halfway through the Big 12 before. And historically, it's been the Jayhawks that have pulled away in the second half of the conference season and they, you know, end up winning by a game or two. Uh, it's happened a lot. Um, so there could very well be one of those teams that could rise to the top uh, and separate themselves. I'm not, I don't think that's going to happen, but it, it could. Uh, we've seen that happen before. Yeah, it's, um, we're halfway through for those teams. Um, man, I want to ask Brian Haney if he thinks KU can get on that. If this roster can get on that kind of run to do something like that. I'm curious to hear his take on that. Uh, and we'll do that in the second hour. It's really, really, it's pretty interesting. All right, let's take a quick break. Let's come back, Tommy. And before we get to Kevin Saul, we'll wrap up our one with Kevin. Let's talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame real quick when we return. We'll get that in, and then we'll get to Kevin Saul, new announcements for the athletic program. We'll do all of it as we roll forward on Sports Daily.
All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Tommy, I don't think you and I have been together on this show since we've had a good old-fashioned Major League Baseball Hall of Fame discussion. Uh, let's have one real quick before we get to Kevin Saul uh, in just a few minutes. I, the Baseball Hall of Fame drives me crazier and crazier every year. There's no other sport does everything it's it, it can to make people less interested in it than Major League Baseball. Scott Rowland gets in. He's absolutely deserving. So is Todd Helton. So is Billy Wagner. So is Andrew Jones. Probably so is Gary Sheffield. Um, like the, the, Omar Vizquel needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Like This is so stupid. Why do we do this every year? Why are the people deciding who goes into the Hall of Fame the only people that think it needs to be as exclusive as it is? Players don't like it. Coaches don't like it. Fans don't like it. Like, what are we doing here? If you're not celebrating the greatness of this game, what are you doing? Give me, I, I that, can't yeah. – it, it has made me so jaded and bitter. I hate it. Like, why I've do stopped, we do this? I've stopped paying attention to it, um, honestly. Me like, too, and that's I, so sad. Yeah. I mean, look, like, Scott Rowland, okay, cool. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, I feel like if he's going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame, then they need to change the name to the Hall of Pretty Good. Oh, you um, you don't of, think I mean, he should be in? No, oh, I mean I think God. he's fine. I think he's fine. I think he's in. I think he was a good player, but you know I don't. When I think of Scott Rowland, I don't think of, oh my God, he's one of the all time greats. Like that is never anything that has ever gone through my mind when I think of Scott Rowland. He had a good career. He played. He was he he was a great third baseman. He hit the ball really well. Uh, he was a he was a good player. I'm not taking anything away from him, but man, we are. Uh, inducting guys that I think are fine to be in oh, the you Hall and of I, Fame. You and I don't agree are, on this at all then. But then we're absolutely excluding other people that have They didn't cases. have anybody in their Hall of Fame class last year. Nobody. Yeah. How right. does that – how could you possibly allow that to happen? But I look at some of these other players like, okay, Todd Helton. Oh, cool. I mean, yeah, I guess he should. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like these guys are marginal, but we are, we're excluding other players. Uh, and I get it. I understand the steroid thing and, you know, the the era of all of that. I get it. Um, but man, when, when you've got players that, I don't know, you've got players that are absolutely deserving of being in the Hall of Fame and you're inducting Scott Rowland and, and you know, Todd Helton is like the next vote getter. Okay, fine, but you're Todd not Helton, it Todd doesn't Helton. Todd Helton over any attention to it. Tommy, Tommy, Todd Helton over a 17 year career averaged 316, 27 home runs and 100 RBIs. That's a Hall of cool. Famer. How he many was a five time. He, he was a five time All Star. How many World Four time Silver Slugger. He was a three time Gold Glove winner. Are you How kidding? How many World Series did he win? What does that matter? He played for the flipping Rockies. Maybe he should have played for a better team. Uh, yeah, maybe he should have, but that doesn't keep him out of the Hall of Fame. How many did How many did Scott Rowland win? I don't even know. I don't care. It, it's I think he, like, I mean, didn't he win one with the Cardinals? I'm pretty sure. I don't he know. Was... I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sure he did. It's just like why to me, like if you're not celebrating the best players of your game constantly, you're telling people that your game's not very good, and and that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. There are Hall of Fame players always. There are players that are the best at what they do in the time that they played always. You can't keep those guys out. Why 
in baseball? Is it the only place where a guy like Omar Vizquel, who played for however many years and was the best defender for that entire stretch of time in the most important premium position and was a fine hitter, like in every other Hall of Fame, the like Ben Wallace is going to be a Hall of Famer, right? The best defenders in football are going to be Hall of Famers. It's but tell, like tell me how... Tell me how this makes sense when you're inducting Scott Rowland this year into the Hall of Fame. But it takes Fred McGriff to be inducted by a committee vote, sense. and he wasn't on the ballot. And Fred McGriff hit like 500 home runs in his career. Like the 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 metrics that people are gauging this by, it's so wacky. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And it makes me not want to pay attention to it. Cool. Good for Scott Rowland. He was a good player. I think he's a marginal Hall of Famer at best. I would say the same thing about Todd Helton. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, whatever. Uh, your, Braves, know. Your, your Braves bias is showing, by the way. Todd Helton How? has a significantly higher career war than Fred McGriff does. Higher batting average, uh, higher per year RBI totals. Like, it, How you, many it, total home runs did Fred McGriff hit? Uh, 493. 493, but he was a 284- 284 hitter, averaged the same number of RBIs. So because Fred McGriff hit five more home runs a year over basically the same period of time, he's a no-doubt Hall of Famer, but Todd Helton's not, even though Todd Helton was a significantly better defender and had a higher career war than Fred McGriff. Todd Helton is... I'm not saying that Todd Helton should be The correct answer is they're both obviously Hall of Famers. They're obviously both Hall of Famers. Like, home runs isn't the only stat that matters in baseball. Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Famer. He's the best defender. The Hall of Fame is a mess, and the induction process is a mess, and who they're putting on ballots and the fact that there was nobody last year, and you've got, I think, a marginal guy in Scott Rowling. Good for him, but he's in the uh, whatever. Like, it doesn't make me want to pay attention to it. Well, I mean, look, Helton made more all-star games than Fred McGriff, and I think Fred McGriff's absolutely a Hall of Famer. Like, there's no doubt about it. But, like, we shouldn't be trying so hard to keep guys out we should be celebrating the best players and getting them in the good thing is is that as we move forward there are going to be some more slam dunk candidates that i'm totally on board for next year adrian beltre is going to be on the ballot ichiro will be coming up in a couple of years like there are some other guys that i feel better about that will be on the ballot and should be shoe-ins in the next couple of years i just don't think that there really was one this year well, Billy Wagner is, should be, Andrew Jones no. should be. Uh, yeah. Again, I think Omar Vizquel absolutely should be. Then you kind of get into the steroid conversation. It gets a little bit trickier, and that's a whole different, like that's not even the debate I, I'm trying to bring up right now. It's just like stop trying so hard to keep guys out of the Hall of Fame. What? what like do you want people to care about your sport? You're going to tell fans, hey, yeah, there's nobody good enough to be in the Hall of Fame playing right now. Sorry, guys. Like, no, garbage. No other sport does that. 869-1240. We can continue that conversation tomorrow. We'll take a quick break. We'll get Kevin Saul in. Wichita State Athletic Director next on Sports Daily. Sports Daily is on KFH. Hey, Shocker fans, want the latest on Wichita State Athletics? Let's go right to the source with Shocker AD, Kevin Saul. All right, and welcome back. A little uh, 
you know, out of order on when we'd normally have Kevin Saul in. We appreciate uh, the last-minute adjustment here as the athletic department has a big announcement yesterday. Wichita State announcing a master plan for Wilkins Stadium where the softball team plays. Big makeover, starts with facilities for the players, eventually gets to uh, more comforts for the fans. Uh, Kevin, I, I want to ask you about a couple other things, but before we get to that, this announcement Tell, tell us, you know, how long has this been in the works? You know, why now? And, and how does this work moving forward for the for the program? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having us on, uh, Jacob, Tommy, and uh, appreciate it. You guys doing well this morning? Yeah, we're just, we're, we're catching our breath after a spirited baseball Hall of Fame debate right before we had you on. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Okay, good. Well, as you mentioned, the uh, the facility master plan is really a process that in- incorporates all of our facilities within athletics, um, and and basically just charts a pathway for where where we're headed. Uh, it takes time and and effort and energies and partnerships with architects and engineering firms to do all those things, but it lays out a plan right for you because it, in order for us to do an effective job meeting the needs of our students, recruitment, retention, development. We've got to have a good plan for our facility. That's not something that we've done here globally for all athletic facilities before. And so that's important. Um, As a part of that, uh, softball is really the first step for us for a number of reasons. Um, When I I got here, guys, started July 5th. Um, As you know, we've talked about it before. Uh, We made uh, significant investments in Coach Bredbender and her staff. Uh, to keep them here. Obviously, they're doing an awesome job, and and uh, it's been a great experience working with them. We've also uh, made some short-term investments, significant investments in the facility. Uh, we did uh, batting cages. We've done lights. Uh, we are currently in a third-base dugout expansion, both depth and length. Uh, be a restroom in that dugout and all those things, and we do that with the intention of looking at a team operations building and a full indoor infield that would sit behind that third base dugout between Wilkins softball stadium and Heskett. So the answer to the question of how long it's been in progress, uh, back to July, uh, the university and the athletics department has been, been investing in, in Wilkins stadium, um, since prior to my arrival and that investment will continue. We're excited to announce that we're going to go with an artificial, uh, surface uh, where all the grass is now will be artificial turf um, at the conclusion of this season that will also help us for a lot of reasons as well so a lot of short-term things going on in terms of investment for softball and then this represents really the, the first step in our global facility master plan because we do need to address the conditions with which our women's softball program are living day in and day out just not they're not uh, up to standard and, and what we need here. And so uh, that is a high priority for us. So, Kevin, on top of softball, the other major focus of this is the $500,000 that will be evenly allocated between endowed scholarships for students majoring in math and also men's basketball athletes. Talk a little bit about that portion of the project uh, and the priority and, and why that is going to, to that location. Well, I I will share with you, obviously, we are incredibly appreciative and grateful and humbled by the the generous gift uh, from the Park family, Linda Park family, and then the Brothertons as well. And the the Park family estate gift basically earmarks and identifies three pathways for uh, their $1.1 million gift. Uh, One of those pathways was to assist uh, uh, math 
uh, students at Wichita State. One of those pathways was to assist in offsetting scholarship costs for men's basketball student athletes, and the other pathway was identified as a key capital or facility priority as determined by the president of the university. And uh, as our release mentioned, um, uh, President Muma has been incredibly supportive of the growth in women's athletics and also our softball program, and so made the choice um, to uh, to he made the determination to go ahead and invest those dollars into uh, the softball facility, and so obviously that helps us create some momentum in our fundraising efforts. So when we see that, and this is one of the reasons we we had you in quickly, is we see that, and and it caught my eye because it was real high in the release there. So when we see, you know, the endowment, half a million dollars going to uh, men's basketball athletes, um, or at least half of it, what what does that mean? Well, like, how, clear, how is though, that money Jacob, used? Let's be clear. Yeah, let's be clear in terms of what that is, because I think we can maybe misrepresent that when we say it goes to men's basketball student athletes. So um, the SESO, you guys have heard of the Shocker Athletic Scholarship Organization. Um, that is an organization yeah. that has a board where we raise dollars uh, specifically for academic scholarships. Um, athletic sponsors, I think the number is 207 uh, scholarships. It's like 207.3 uh, total scholarships among our 250 student-athletes. You will recall maybe three or four games ago at halftime, uh, we presented a check uh, to President Muma for almost $4 million dollars. That is the cost of those 207.3 scholarships. Okay. The seat donations, when you buy basketball season tickets, there's a ticketing portion of that, but there's also a seat donation portion. That seat donation goes strictly to uh, paying for the scholarships uh, and paying that because athletics pays the university for the scholarships that we offer for our student athletes. So the $500,000 that you see in that release. Um, is intended to offset those scholarship costs over time. So, Kevin, I want to. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, I was going to follow. So it offsets the scholarship cost, but is there, you know, is this just? What is the benefit? Because it in, and that's why I read it that way is because it says students majoring math and men's basketball athletes. Um, is it so? Does it just push other money down the road to be used in other ways, or or how does something like it's that like work? Any, of Jacob, course, it's like any Jacob. It's like any endowment. You may have an endowed professorship on campus, right? Where somebody, uh, a generous family, might say, "Hey, we want to donate as part of our estate gift. We want to donate ten million dollars to an endowed uh, professorship, or an endowed department chair, or an endowed dean." And what that does is it sits in a foundation. It typically spins off four to five percent um, interest um, every year, and that interest okay. is, on the principal is used to fund whatever the um, generous donors identify as what they want to fund. So, on a million dollar gift, you know, four four percent is going to spin off forty thousand dollars a year. And so, what that does is it sits in an endowment. And it helps spin off interest that offsets. Um, men's basketball scholarship costs. And so obviously for $4 million in scholarships, um, if you were to say 4 million is 4% of what number, right? Or 5% of, of what number, that's $80 million. We would need an endowment of $80 million to spin off the $4 million to be able to offset all the scholarships. 
So it gives you a sense of the magnitude of what we spend on scholarships and what it would take from a foundation's perspective. But the true story of the day is the focus on our softball program and our softball student athletes and the plan we have for Wilcom Stadium. Yeah, I want to ask you about that, Kevin. So it's been it's been phenomenal to watch the the transformation of the softball program over the last decade or so under Coach Breadbinner. Uh, and it, it really seems like not only through the release, but just, you know, looking at social media from the, the players uh, over the last 24 hours and even Coach Breadbinner, uh, the, uh, the the sense and the feeling of investing in women. Uh, so so talk a little bit about the importance from your perspective at Wichita State of investing in women's athletic programs. Well, it's incredibly important, guys. We've got um... – 15 sports we have 250 um, programs Um, we are over 50 percent of our student athlete population is female Um, so it's incredibly important for us Um, you know since the 50 years ago since the passage of of title nine all of those investments have gotten better over time i come from a background and a, a history of uh, investing significantly in women's athletics at the University of Kentucky. We did $250 million in capital construction, much of which uh, benefited um, our female student-athletes as well. So that piece is critically important uh, for us. Coach Breadbenner, her staff, all of our alumni, our our softball student-athletes throughout the history of the program – are all to be credited and appreciated for where we are. I think, guys, the the, the image that I think about is is the, the young women that have gone through our program over the last many years and decades that planted seeds for trees that would bear shade or fruit for uh, individuals other than themselves. And that's ultimately what we're celebrating is um, that we stand on the shoulders of others. Uh, who have accomplished before us. So it's a, it's a, going to be a great facility. It's going to be something that our alumni, our fans, our student-athletes are very proud of. Guys, the facility is really no different than um, buildings on the innovation campus or Woolsey Hall, our new business building. At the end of the day, these buildings are investments in recruitment, retention, and student development. And athletics is no different. Um, we need to be able to step up our recruitment, um, our retention, and our development. We need to be more competitive. Um, There's a reason why the three state institutions, um, regents institutions in the state of Kansas all have new business buildings within the last 10 years. It's a competitive marketplace. We are competing um, with uh, other institutions in the state and in the region for softball student-athletes and then all the student-athletes in all 15 of our programs. We need to be very competitive in that space to recruit, retain, and develop. Let's talk about retention, especially with softball, because they retained like 100 out of 121 home runs last year, retained all Americans, all of those things happening. And I imagine this stuff goes hand in hand. But where has, you know, not just softball, which has obviously done a good job, where where is everything coming in the retention piece of college athletics right now for Wichita State? Well, it's a great question, Jacob. We could probably talk about for an hour about retention. And the, the multifaceted layers of student-athlete development and, and the culture of your program. What's interesting is a couple of weeks ago I read an article that, that referenced a top 100 prospect camp for high school 
male college basketball uh, players. And the top, I think, 25 of those 100 young people were surveyed, and they, they were asked, hey, what, what are the criteria that you look at when you're making a decision on your college institution that you're going to attend? And NIL, shockingly, was, was not number one. It was number three. And number one and number two were player development and relationships with the coaches and staff. And so when you talk about retention, um, that that's the enigma that every single university is trying to solve. And there's so many elements to it. It's personalized attention. It's quality coaches and staff. It's development. In athletics, it can be a component of NIL as a tool of retention. It's not the most important part of your program. Uh, facilities is an important aspect of it. The academic program that our student athletes are engaged in, um, distance away from home, all of those things are critically important to retention. Well, Kevin, uh, we, we can't let you go uh, without mentioning Shocker Game Day today uh, for men's basketball at Coke Arena. Tulane comes to town, uh, 8 o'clock tip inside Coke Arena. I want to get your thoughts on, uh, of course, on Sunday, the Shockers hit the road to SMU, got a two-point win on the road, and now tonight they've got a chance to get back to 500 in conference play. Uh, your overall assessment, where you think things stand after that road victory on Sunday against SMU and looking ahead to Tulane, to Tulane tonight? Yeah, I thought the, the, the victory, any road victory is a great victory, right? We're never going to apologize for wins. And um, so I was really excited that our, our, our guys had a hard-fought win at, at SMU. It was interesting. You know, late, I think Craig picked up his fourth, and he comes out. We go on a 15-0 run. Um, to to get up significantly and then um, and then they go on a 15-0 run and now all of a sudden it starts to feel like a game that's going to go into overtime but we we closed it out I thought played well James Rojas has had a really good uh, stretch here the last two or three games Melvion continues to to provide that energy and spark and and all those things are are very good obviously we ratcheted up uh, here against Tulane who's five and three in the league I believe and and sitting in the top five so um, that will look very similar to a Cincinnati-type um, competitive um, game tonight. And so uh, we'd love to have Shocker Nation in Charles Koch Arena for a, a later tip, 8 p.m. tonight. Uh, but uh, it'll be a, a great game against Tulane. And uh, we'll keep moving forward. The guys are working really hard. Uh, we're, we're learning lessons. I see us addressing uh, some some themes, problematic themes, trying to accentuate some some assets on our team as well in terms of skill sets and what we do well. So uh, we'll keep at it, keep evaluating, keep trying to get better every day. And Tulane, East Carolina coming up the next two before that big Houston game. Pretty critical in that AAC standing. Also all on national TV, but get out to Coke Arena tonight. You can hear that game right here uh, with us on KEYN. Pre-game coverage begins at 7 o'clock. Kevin, appreciate the uh, last-minute schedule adjustment. We'll have... Uh, some time down the road here to talk again, but wanted to get that in. Wilkins Stadium, huge renovation. Uh, and real quick, you guys, it, I, just before we go to break, because you guys still have to raise a bunch of the money, right? You have the first phase of it, but if people want to be involved in that, how can they be involved in that? Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking that. The first step is is creating a plan. So we entered into a facility master plan globally so that we had a plan for all of our facilities. We dive in just a little bit deeper in uh, softball, uh, to make sure we understand what this thing's going to look like conceptually, functionally, programmatically. And uh, what that does, guys, is, is what you saw yesterday. It gives us some renderings. It gives us some detailed cost estimates in terms of what we're looking for. Having a plan 
um, and a vision is really what's important to fundraise for it. So phase one, uh, $7.3 million. Um, we will work uh, very diligently and have here the last four to six weeks to, uh, to work at that very hard. Understand we're very early in the process. You have to have a plan and a vision before you can sell it. Right. And uh, and then we will go through the process of selling that plan and vision. A lot of folks are fired up about it. We're excited to talk to them. And then you get into detailed design de- development and then ultimately construction. So we're, we're there is a process to all of this. And, and we're in the first few, few uh, steps and phases of that process. All right, Kevin Saul, we appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Enjoy the game tonight. And uh, here we go. Sounds good, guys. Thanks so much. Go Shockers. 869-1240, your number to call. There goes Kevin Saul. Uh, Coming up right after the break, we'll jump right back into it. Another guest, Brian Haney, voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, joins us to talk about that skid and what is still on the slate for KU basketball moving forward. It's all coming up. Sports Daily rolls forward on a Wednesday. Wednesday. 